Chapters fourteen and fifteen of Cousin Maud by Mary Jane Holmes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Fourteen, the dark hour. Doctor Kennedy had been to Buffalo and taken the smallpox, so his attending physician said, and the news spread rapidly, frightening nervous people as they never were frightened before. Nellie had been home for a week or two, but at the first alarm she fled, rushing headlong through the hall and down the stairs, unmindful of the tremulous voice which cried imploringly, "'Don't leave me, daughter, to die alone!' Hannah followed next, holding the camphor bottle to her nose and saying to John when he expostulated with her, "'I reckon I's not gwine to spile what little beauty I've got with that fetched complaint.' "'But, mother,' persisted John, maybe it's nothing but very o lord after all and that don't mark folks you know you needn't talk to me about your very o lord returned hannah i know it's the very o devil himself and i won't have them pocketed marks on me for all the niggers in virginny then go said john hold tight to the campfire and run for your life or it may caught you before you get out of the house hannah needed no second bidding to run and half an hour later she was domesticated with a colored family who lived not far from the hill thus left to themselves louis and john together with the physician did what they could for the sick man who at last proposed sending for maud feeling intuitively that she would not desert him as his own child had done silent desolate and forsaken the old house looked as maud approached it and she involuntarily held her breath as she stepped into the hall whose close air seemed laden with infection she experienced no difficulty in finding the sick-room where louis's cry of delight john's expression of joy and the sick man's whispered words god bless you maud more than recompensed her for the risk she had incurred gradually her fear subsided particularly when she learned that it was in fact the varioloid had it been possible to remove her brother from danger she would have done so but it was too late now and she suffered him to share her vigils watching carefully for the first symptoms of the disease in him in this manner nearly two weeks passed away and the panic-stricken villages were beginning to breathe more freely when it was told them one day that maud and louis were both smitten with the disease then indeed the more humane said to themselves shall they be left to suffer alone and still no one was found who dared to breathe the air of the sick-room dr kennedy was by this time so much better that louis was taken to his apartment where he ministered to him himself while the heroic maud was left to the care of john everything he could do for her he did but his heart sunk within him when he saw how fast her fever came on and heard her in her sleep mourn for her mother to hold her aching head she mustn't die he said and over his dark skin the tears rolled like rain as raising his eyes to the ceiling he cried imploringly will the good father send some one to help the prayer of the weak african was heard and ere the sun went down a man of noble mien and noble heart stood at the maiden's bedside bathing her swollen face pushing back her silken curls counting her rapid pulses and once when she slept kissing her parched lips even though he knew that with that kiss he inhaled perhaps his death james de vere had never for a day lost sight of maud 
immediately after her return he had written to the physician requesting a daily report and when at last he learned that she was ill and all alone he came unhesitatingly presenting a striking contrast to the timid j c who had heard of her illness and at first dared not open the letter which his cousin wrote apprising him of maud's affliction but when he reflected that he could be revaccinated and thus avert the dreaded evil he broke the seal and read commenting as follows jim is a splendid fellow though i can't see why he takes so much interest in her don't i have confounded luck though that will first the five thousand dollars next and now the smallpox too of course she'll be marked and look like a fright poor girl i'd help her if i could and as the better nature of j c came over him he added mournfully what if she should die but maud did not die and at the expiration of ten days she was so far out of danger that james de vere yielded to the importunity of his mother who in an agony of terror besought him to return when first he came to her bedside maud had begged of him to leave her and not risk his life in her behalf but he silenced her objections then and now when he bade her adieu he would not listen to her protestations of gratitude i would do even more for you if i could he said i am not afraid of the varioloid and henceforth i shall think gratefully of it for having dealt so lightly with you so saying he turned away feeling happier than he could well express that maud had not only escaped from death but that there would be no marks left to tell how near the ravager had been scarcely had the door closed on him when emboldened by his last words to ask a question she greatly wished yet dreaded to ask maud turned to john and said am i much pitted rolling up his eyes and wholly mistaking her meaning john replied i ain't no great of a physiognomer but when a thing is as plain as day i can discern it as well as the next one and if that ar chap hain't pitied you and done a heap more'n that i'm mistaken but continued maud smiling at his simplicity i mean shall i probably be scarred oh bless you not a scar answered john for don't you mind how he kept the isled silk and wet rags on your face and how that night when you was sickest he held your hand so you couldn't touch that little feller between your eyes that was the spunkiest varmint of em all and may leave a mark like the one under your ear but it won't spile your looks an atom and louis said maud is he disfigured not a disfigurement returned john but the old governor he's a right smart sprinklin of em one squire on the tip of his nose and five or six more on his face thus relieved of her immediate fears maud asked many questions concerning louis who she learned had not been very sick you can see him afore long i reckon said john and in a few days she was able to join him in the sitting-room below after a while hannah returned to her post of duty her beauty unimpaired and herself thoroughly ashamed of having thus heartlessly deserted her master's family in their affliction as if to make amends for this she exerted herself to cleanse the house from everything which could possibly inspire fear on the villagers and by the last of august there was scarce a trace left of the recent scourge save the deep scar on the end of the doctor's nose one or two marks on louis's face and a weakness of maud's eyes which became at last a cause of serious alarm it was in vain that louis implored his father to seek medical aid in rochester where the physicians were supposed to have more experience in such matters 
the doctor refused saying twas a maxim of his not to counsel with any one and he guessed he knew how to manage sore eyes but maud's eyes were not sore they were merely weak while the pain in the eyeball was sometimes so intense as to wring from her a cry of suffering gradually there crept into her heart a horrid fear that her sight was growing dim and often in the darkness of night she wept most bitterly praying that she might not be blind oh louis she said to her brother one day i would so much rather die than to be blind and never see you any more never see the beautiful world i love so much oh must it be is there no help james de vere could help us if he were here answered louis his own tears mingling with his sister's but james de vere had left hampton for new orleans where he would probably remain until the winter and there could be no aid expected from him the doctor too was wholly absorbed in thoughts of his approaching nuptials for maud glendower failing to secure the wealthy bachelor and overhearing several times the remark that she was really getting old had consented to name the twentieth of october for their marriage and so the other maud was left to battle with the terrible fear which was strengthened every day at length j c roused not so much by the touching letter which she wrote him as by the uncertain handwriting came himself bringing with him a physician who carefully examined the soft black eyes which could not now endure the light then shaking his head he said gravely there is still some hope but she must go to the city where i can see her every day j c looked at dr kennedy and dr kennedy looked at j c and then both their hands sought their pockets but came out again empty j c really had not the ready means with which to meet the expense while dr kennedy had not the inclination but when there was the faithful john who could not stand by unmoved and darting from the room he mounted the woodshed stairs and from beneath the rafters drew out an old leathern wallet where from time to time he had deposited money for the wet day that wet day had come at last not to him but to another and without a moment's hesitation he counted out the ten golden eagles which his purse contained and going back to maud placed them in her hand saying go to rochester miss maud i saved em for you for i wouldn't have the light squenched in them shinin eyes for all the land in old virginny it was a noble act and it shamed the paler faces who witnessed it but they offered no remonstrance though maud did refusing to accept it until louis said take it sister take it and when i'm twenty-one i'll give him ten times ten golden eagles the necessary arrangements were quickly made and ere a week was passed maud found herself in rochester and an inmate of mrs kelsey's family for touched with pity that lady had offered to receive her and during her brief stay treated her with every possible attention nelly too was very kind ministering carefully to the comfort of her stepsister who had ceased to be a rival for well she knew j c de vere would never wed a penniless bride and blind fifteen the new mistress at laurel hill the twentieth of october came and with a firm hand maud glendower arrayed herself for the bridal which was to take place at an early hour the scar on the end of the doctor's nose had shaken her purpose for an instant but when she thought again of the unpaid bills lying in her private drawer and when more than all the doctor said we greatly fear maud remington will be blind her resolution was fixed and with a steady voice she took upon herself the marriage vows they were to go to laurel hill that day and when the doctor saw that the handsome furniture of her rooms was still untouched he ventured to ask 
if she had left orders to have it sent oh i didn't tell you did i that my furniture was all mortgaged to mrs raymond for board and borrowed money too but of course you don't care you did not marry my furniture and the little soft white hands were laid upon those of the bridegroom while the lustrous eyes sought his face to witness the effect of her words the dent on the nose grew red a moment and then the doctor perfectly intoxicated with the beauty of his bride answered no maud i married you a rap at the door and a note from messrs barnabas muggins and brown hoped miss glendower would not forget to settle her bill it's really quite provoking to trouble you with my debt so soon said the lady but i dare say it's a maxim of yours that we should have no secrets from each other and so i may as well show you these at once and she turned into his lap a handful of bills amounting in all to four hundred dollars due to the different tradesmen of troy the spot on the nose was decidedly purple and had katie or mattie been there they would surely have recognized the voice which began really i did not expect this and tis a max never mind the maxim and the mouth of the speaker was covered by a dimpled hand as maud glendower continued it's mean i know but four hundred dollars is not much after all and you ought to be willing to pay even more for me don't you think so dearest yes faintly answered the doctor who knowing there was no alternative gave a check for the whole amount on a rochester bank where he had funds deposited maud glendower was a charming travelling companion and in listening to her lively sallies and noticing the admiration she received the doctor forgot his lost four hundred dollars and by the time they reached canandaigua he believed himself supremely happy in having such a wife john was waiting for them just as thirteen years before he had waited for blue-eyed mattie and the moment her eye fell upon the carriage he had borrowed from a neighbour the new wife exclaimed oh i hope that lumbering old thing is not ours it would give me the rickets to ride in it long it's borrowed the doctor said and she continued i'll pick out mine and my horses too i'm quite a connoisseur in those matters john rolled his eyes towards his master whose face wore a look never seen there before henpecked was the negro's mental comment as he prepared to start when about three miles from the village the lady started up saying she had left her shawl and must go back immediately there is not time said the doctor for the sun is already nearly set it will be perfectly safe but it's my india shawl i must have it and the lady's hand was laid upon the reins to turn the horses heads of course they went back finding the shawl not at the hotel but under the carriage cushions where the lady herself had placed it it's a maxim of mine to know what i'm about the doctor ventured to say while a silvery voice returned so do i ordinarily but it is not strange that i forget myself on my wedding day this was well timed and wrapping the garment carefully round her to shelter her from the night air the doctor bade the highly amused john to drive on they were more than halfway home when some luscious oranges in a small grocery window caught the bride's eye and she must have some she always kept them in her room she said and to the grocer's inquiry how many madam she answered two dozen at least and a box of figs if you have them i dote on figs it was the doctor's wedding day he could not say no and with a mental groan he parted company with another bill while john on the platform without danced the double shuffle in token of his delight there was a second grocery to be passed 
but by taking a more circuitous route it could be avoided and the discomfited bridegroom bade john go through the hollow yes sir answered the knowing negro turning the heads of the unwilling horses in a direction which would not bring them home so soon by one whole hour but the grocery was shunned and so the doctor did not care even if the clock did strike nine just as they stopped at their own gate the night was dark and the bride could not distinguish the exterior of the house neither was the interior plainly discernible lighted as it was with an oil lamp and a single tallow candle but she scarcely thought of this so intent was she upon the beautiful face of the crippled boy who sat in his armchair eagerly awaiting her arrival this is louis the father said and the scornful eyes which with one rapid glance had scanned the whole apartment filled with tears as they turned toward the boy dropping on one knee before him the lady parted the silken hair from his forehead saying very gently you must be like your mother save that your eyes are brown and hers were blue may i be your mother louis very wonderingly the child gazed into her face it was radiantly beautiful while the dreamy eyes rested upon him with such a yearning look that his heart went out toward her at once and winding his arms around her neck he murmured i shall love you very much my mother for a moment maud glendower held him to her bosom while her thoughts went back to the long ago when another face much like his had rested there and another voice had whispered in her ear i love you maud glendower that voice was hushed in death but through the child it spoke to her again and with a throbbing heart she vowed to be to the crippled boy what mattie herself would well approve could she speak from her low bed beneath the willows what of your sister the lady said at last rising to her feet is she recovering her sight nelly writes there is hope said louis though she did not receive attention soon enough the physician says there was reproach contempt and anger in the large black eyes which sought the doctor's face but the light was dim and he did not see it it will be a great misfortune to her and very hard on me if she is blind for of course i must take care of her he said at last while his wife indignantly replied take care of her yes i'd sell my diamonds rather than see her suffer supper was now announced and in examining the arrangement of the table and inspecting the furniture of the dining-room the bride forgot everything save the novelty of her situation mentally styling the house an old rookery she forced back the bitter feelings which would rise up when she thought how unlike was all this to what she had been accustomed it needed but one glance of her keen eyes to read the whole and ere the close of the next day she understood her position perfectly and summoning to her aid her iron will she determined to make the most of everything she knew the doctor had money ay and she knew too how to get it from him but she was too wary to undertake it in any of the ordinary ways she did not tell him how desolate the old house seemed or that she was homesick because of its desolation but after she had been there a few days she sat down by his side and told him that with a few improvements it could be made the most delightful spot in all the country and she was glad she had come there to help him to fix it up she knew he had exquisite taste and as he was now at leisure they would contrive together how their parlors could be improved she didn't quite like them as they were the window lights were too small and they must have the large panes of glass then satin paper on the walls would look so much better and the carpets though really very nice were hardly good enough for a man of dr kennedy's standing in society but gasped the doctor the one in the back parlor is brand new 
has scarcely been used at all and it is a maxim of mine your maxim is good undoubtedly interrupted the lady but the chambers all need recarpeting and this will exactly fit maud's room which i intend fixing before she returns the doctor looked aghast and his wife continued the season is so far advanced that it is hardly worth while to make any changes now but next spring i shall coax you into all manner of repairs i do wonder what makes that spot on your nose so red at times you are really very fine-looking when it is not there it is gone she continued and smoothing away a wrinkle in his forehead she said we won't talk of the future now but seriously we must have some new brussels carpets and a furnace to warm the whole house here she shivered and coughed quite naturally after which she returned to the charge saying her family were consumptive and she could not endure the cold but my dear said the doctor it will cost a great deal of money to carry out your plans oh no not much she answered give me five hundred dollars and i will do everything necessary to make us comfortable for the winter five hundred dollars mrs kennedy and the doctor's grey eyes looked as they used to look when katie and mattie asked him for five five hundred dollars preposterous why during the seven years i lived with your predecessor she did not cost me that from old hannah mrs kennedy had learned how her predecessor had been stinted by the doctor and could he that moment have looked into her heart he would have seen there a fierce determination to avenge the wrong so meekly borne but she did not embody her thoughts in words neither did she deem it advisable to press the subject further at that time so she waited for nearly a week and then resumed the attack with redoubled zeal we must have another servant she said old hannah is wholly inefficient and so i have engaged a coloured woman from the hotel and did i tell you i have spoken to a man about the furnace we are going to have and i also told mr jenks to buy me one hundred yards of brussels carpeting in new york he's gone for goods you know really mrs kennedy this exceeds all my former companions saw fit to consult me always really one hundred yards of carpeting and a black cook astonishing mrs kennedy the doctor was quite too much confounded to think of a single maxim for his wife's effrontery took him wholly by surprise she was a most energetic woman and her proceedings were already the theme of many a tea-table gossip in which the delighted villagers exulted that dr kennedy had at last found his match yes he had found his match and when next day the black cook rose came and mr brown asked when he would have the furnace put in his cellar there was that in the eye of his better half which prompted a meek submission when the bill for the new carpets was handed him he again rebelled but all to no purpose he paid the requisite amount and tried to swallow his wrath with his wife's consolatory remark that they were the handsomest couple in town and ought to have the handsomest carpets one day he found her giving directions to two or three men who were papering painting and whitewashing maud's room and then as john remarked he seemed more like himself than he had done before since his last marriage if maud is going to be blind he said it can make no difference with her how her chamber looks and tis a maxim of mine to let well enough alone i wish you would cure yourself of those disagreeable maxims was the lady's cool reply as stepping to the head of the stairs she bade john bring up the carpet if it were whipped enough allow me to ask what you are doing with it 
said the doctor as from the window he saw the back parlor carpet swinging on the line why i told you i was going to fit up maud's room she is coming home in a week you know and i am preparing a surprise i have ordered a few pieces of light furniture from the cabinet makers and i think her chamber would look nicely if the walls were only a little higher they can't be raised i suppose she was perfectly collected and no queen on her throne ever issued her orders with greater confidence in their being obeyed and when that night she said to her husband these men must have their pay he had no alternative but to open his purse and give her what she asked thus it was with everything guy ain't him cotchin it good was john's mental comment as he daily watched the proceedings and while hannah pronounced him the hen peckedest man she had ever seen the amused villagers knew that will had met will and been conquered End of chapters fourteen and fifteen